Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Out of Office from the Logistics Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsty Adams, editor of SHD Logistics Magazine. This episode was recorded at the SHD Logistics Conference, which took place at the British Museum earlier this year. How much power do I need in my warehouse? As automation takes shape, this is a question being asked up and down the country by operators. In this episode, Simon Cox, first Vice President, Project Management and Sustainability Officer from Property Developer Prologis UK, discusses the energy requirements of the warehouse of the future. He also talks about how to accommodate solar PVs, electric vehicles, and how connected buildings can save you money. This session and all the other sessions which took place that day were produced by the SHD Logistics editorial team. The same team will be producing some of the content at the upcoming IMHX. And if you don't know what that is, it's the International Materials Handling Exhibition. It takes place between the 24th and the 27th of September at the NEC in Birmingham. It's free, so please do come along. Speakers include Ocado, Coca-Cola, Lovecrafts and many more. I'll be facilitating for some of it, so do come and say hello if you see me or if you hear me. So Simon joined us in London to present at the conference. His was the last talk of the day, but it was by no means the least. Let's join the session where Simon is describing a scenario which you may find very familiar. At the moment, you're doing very well. Your business is performing excellently and you need to try and find yourself some more logistics space. So you'll start to plan for that and at some point you'll ask yourself this question, how much power do you need? And you'll end up in a room with someone like me and we'll say, well, you know, the historic rule of thumb is that you need about 22 watts per metre squared for a logistics building and that's a sort of typical logistics building with wide aisle racking, relatively modern lighting, that'll do you. So for a half a million square foot building, we would tell you you need a megawatt, but we'd know that it's really a megavolt amp or an MVA, but we'd tell you megawatt because everyone talks that language. And most of that energy would be used to run the warehouse lighting system. So about 90% of the energy that's covered by building regulations is used in a logistics building for warehouse lighting. And that's including the office as well. It's just that, you know, offices are quite small and the warehouse is a great big thing and the lighting is where the energy goes. And then you've got LED. So LED is about three times as efficient as fluorescent today. Basically, what Hayes Law is saying is LEDs are going to get cheaper and they're going to get more efficient. So it's only going to get better in terms of reducing energy use in that way. So you would think that the amount of energy required in logistics buildings is reducing, but it isn't. It's going up. And the reason for that is all sorts of new demands for electricity, primarily. And there's some examples of that there. So, first of all, multi-storey. That's new for most of the world, but not new in Japan. So we've actually got 42 multi-storey buildings in Japan, which we've been building quietly for the last 15 years or so, because that's just how it works over there. And it's all driven by the land costs. So the cost of land means it's actually worth going higher to make the economics of logistics buildings and development work. That's starting to change elsewhere in the world. So we've built our first sort of true multi-story logistics building in America, Georgetown Crossroads in Seattle. It's interesting with the Japanese buildings, we let it floor by floor. And the first floor that's let is normally the the top floor. 
I'm not quite sure why that is. I need to arrange a trip to Japan to find out at some point. But you know, I think it's a prestige thing. I think they see it as the penthouse suite, really. And they're quite happy to actually spend a little bit longer driving vehicles up and down those spiral ramps to get to that top floor. We're looking at this sort of kit in the UK. It's only a matter of time because around places like London, land values are really increasing and developers are going to start to go up to make this work. What we're already doing is what I would call multi-level. So this is you know, your traditional warehouse, but with multiple floors, either in the form of great big structural mezzanines or pit towers. And as with multi-story, what both of these things do is they greatly increase the floor area. So you might get you know, five to seven times the floor area in that half a million square foot building. And that means five to seven times the area to light. And as I've already explained, that's where all the energy is going. So that's why they need more power. But then they also need more power because these volumetric uses and this verticality starts to drag in automation. So our customers begin to look at things like, and I saw somebody else already had a very similar photo, these little Kiva robots, but also sortation retrieval systems, conveyors and high bay cranes, things to really make the use of this greater volume of, of buildings. The second thing that's probably really pushing on the amount of power that people are asking for is electric vehicles. But my view, at least, is that electric vehicles are probably closer than everyone thinks at this point. There's going to be a tipping point somewhere. I don't know where. So DHL, as I understand, they wanted to make their own vehicles. So they bought an automotive company that made electric vehicles. And the other photo is a, is a building that we built near Heathrow, where we're starting to put in kind of multi-use chargers. So these things will do your Tesla, but they'll also do the DHL van. And I think that's where we're going to start to see this begin to pick up. Finally, all electric buildings, which takes a bit of thinking about, but this kind of very spiky-looking, pointy distribution building is one that we just finished in Tilburg in the Netherlands. And the Netherlands is the first place I've seen anywhere in the world which is stopping gas supplies from being put into new buildings. So the theory is that if you allow a developer to connect gas to his building, then you're going to inevitably prolong the period of time that fossil fuel is used in that building. So the Dutch are all over this stuff, and they've got the luxury as well that the local councils, the local municipalities, control the utility provision. So they're stopping developers from getting gas. And providing frost protection to a great big logistics building using electricity is pretty difficult. But if you can make that work, then you're on a journey towards zero carbon that you otherwise wouldn't be. But of course, that means more power as well. So my son, who's about 15 at the time, he had an old BlackBerry that I'd given him, and it's the old sort of physical keyboard ones. And he was showing it to his nephew. This is only about three years ago, by the way. He's showing it to his nephew, who was about five at the time, and he just could not get his head around the fact that he didn't have a touchscreen. Because he'd seen phones, and he knew how they worked, and you swipe at them. So he was swiping away at this thing. And that sort of confusion, I think we're going to have the same level of confusion for people in the future about things that aren't connected to the internet. So it's not that people will see devices, it's just that everything's going to be pretty much reporting how it's feeling to the internet at some point. And I think we will get there. For the future, what that creates is a world of advanced analytics. So we have loads of data flows coming back to things like the Prologis data lake, and we need to find a way to analyze that. So if you can get to grips with it, you can really start to drive data-based decisions, which we can do and which we can give to our customers as well.
And what that means for the warehouse of the future, really, is, is it's, I think, less about the physicality of the building and more about a new era where landlords and tenants work really closely together, where they collaborate in ways beyond what they do now. I mean, let's face it, a lot of landlords, their relationship with the tenant is remembering to ask for the rent once a quarter. This is all about having lots of conversations. How's your business doing? Are you getting what you need to out of this building? How can we make it better? Just to summarise, we're seeing an interesting inflection point really in the market where energy efficiency of logistics buildings is dramatically improving but people are asking for more and more power. We are um, developing intelligent buildings. We're doing that as part of a digital strategy because we think that the data plus analytics will start to drive decision making which will benefit our business and the business of our tenants. And the end result of that is going to be landlord and tenant working much closer together in a much more integrated way. We're at the beginning, I think, of this sort of journey towards digitization. We can see how energy is going to help drive some of that in big logistics property. I've heard already today that quite a number of you are already quite far on this journey yourselves. And hopefully there's some stuff there that helps and will help you take it forward. Hello, you're listening to a speech from Simon Cox, First Vice President, Project Management and Sustainability Officer at property developer Prologis UK. This was recorded at the SHD Logistics Conference at the British Museum earlier this year. We've heard some really interesting points so far about electric buildings, data flows and even a bit about Japanese culture. After his presentation, conference delegates raised their hands to ask him some questions. Here are some of them. Hi, uh, thanks for the uh, presentation. My name's Ron from Green Street Advisors. I have a couple of questions on the economics of the themes you've touched on. When you embark on these sustainability projects and you liaise with your asset management and investment teams, do they see it as a real driver of occupancy and rents across the prologist portfolio? Do they see it as a nice-to-have or a must-to-have? And then my second question is on the theme of deeper tenant and landlord interaction. As the space becomes, let's say, more amenitized for tenants as they de- demand more, do you think that will have a, an elevated demand on structural capex going forward? What I would say is our approach thus far has been to use development as a sort of an opportunity to test new ideas. We're spending money. We can do a little nudge and we can spend a little more just to test something. And we're in that sort of incubation stage on, on some of this stuff. We definitely see there's an opportunity for these things to become ancillary services. At some point, there will be a basket of things that a prologist tenant can take in addition to a sort of base level service of, here's a building, pay me the rent. So I think it's quite monetizable in that way, and I think we will get to that point. We're already experimenting with an app-based idea which will allow tenants to tap into our supply chain for basic services. So if someone needs to find someone to provide cleaning or pest control services in a park, they can tap into our buy-in gain, really, and we're offering that in an app, and and we'll take a very small percentage of of every transaction through there, like a marketplace model. So we can see that there's ways to try and and make it monetizable. The biggest step is to start going back into the existing portfolio and and reinvesting, Um, and obviously those things have to stand on their own two feet. In terms of occupancy, I think what we find is, is anything that creates a touch point between landlord and tenant, almost regardless of what it is, so long as it's, a, you know, it's not a, 
it's not a negative one, but as long as it's a positive discussion, that touch point drives occupancy because that's where we get little bits of intel. So we go and have a conversation with somebody about one of these ideas and we find out that they're doing really well and they need some more space. And then we can go all over that. What we also think will happen is that sort of lighting heat mapping, one of the interesting things for us is I just get one number from that system which says you know, 93% use of the lighting or, or 10%. And actually, there's a world in which if that normally is 90 and it drops down to 10, we might need to go and talk to that tenant about whether they're not doing very well. Or if it's normally 10 and it goes to 90, maybe they need more space. And maybe we'll go and approach them before they've even realised it. So there's definitely some things we can do there. Thank you, Simon, for such an interesting talk. It's really exciting, I think, to talk about robotics and automation when we're talking about logistics. I certainly like hearing about it, but excitement will fade if you can't keep your lights on and your trucks charged at the same time. Power is an issue and it needs to be addressed from the ground up. I liked what Simon had to say about data flows in buildings, which will enable database decisions, and also what he said about landlords working much more closely with tenants in future. It makes a lot of sense. I hope you also enjoyed what Simon had to say. We've also released other talks from the event, including one from Budweiser Brewing Group, which seems to have been really popular so far, so do have a lesson. There's also one from NHS Supply Chain. We'll also be releasing a recording in the next couple of weeks, which covers the Digital Leaders panel, which included companies like James and James Fulfillment, Bearing Point and Hermes. So please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify or your platform of choice. Please do also have a listen to our latest docu podcast, which is called Singles Day and Black Friday. Be prepared. Um, it has some great tips. It also features interviews about attracting and retaining talent, which we all need to know more about. So again, please do have a listen. That is all from me. I will see you next time.